Well, amen. Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well today. If you don't know me, uh, my name's Billy. I get the privilege to be one of the pastors here, and it is a huge privilege for me uh, here at Connection. Uh, our goal and our mission is to, to connect you to a growing relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And so everything we do, you never have to wonder what our motives are, uh, from the songs we sing to the kids' ministry, student ministry, uh, into uh, us teaching God's Word uh, it's all about helping you grow in your relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. If you've been here, you know uh, we've been in a series called Knowing God. We've moved on to week seven. So we started in Genesis uh, chapter one, and we've just kind of been walking through uh, the redemptive narrative of the Bible and kind of showing how even from the beginning at Genesis, Jesus was, was, uh, was the, the central theme of the story, that Jesus is, uh, the, the Bible is a book about God. And it's a book about a rescuer that's going to come and rescue us uh, from our sins. So if you have your Bibles today, I want you to open up to Genesis chapter 22. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 22. Uh, I want to pray for us, and we'll start in verse 1 after that. So Father, uh, we love you. Uh, God, we believe uh, that your word is living and active. Uh, God, we believe that your spirit empowers it, and Lord, you speak through it. So Father, as we dive into your word today to hear from it. Lord, would you speak to our hearts? God, would you do what I can't do? Father, apart from your spirit, I'm a motivational speaker. So Father, I pray that you would come empower these words, God, your word, to speak to the hearts of people. God, help us grow. God, help us become more like you. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Genesis chapter 22, uh, verses 1 through 18 should be a very familiar story uh, if you've been in church, you'll know it. If you hadn't been in church, you've probably uh, heard it. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac, and uh, it's a very powerful story. Genesis 22, verse 1 starts this way. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, right? That's kind of a underline that word tested, right? Did you know God tests us? Well, it tells us right here. The King James Version would translate that uh, tempted. I think there's a big difference. Uh, I think the NIV translates it a little better uh, you know, we know the scriptures tell us that God cannot be tempted by evil in James chapter one, right? Nor does he tempt anyone, right? So uh, that would be wrong to say that God tempted Abraham. It's God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, Abraham replied, here I am. Verse two, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. So when you read this, there is a shock factor, right? The fact that God would test Abraham and by testing him, ask him to go up on a mountain and sacrifice his only son. If you've been following along with us in Genesis, you know God made a promise that Abraham would have an offspring and through that offspring would come a blessing and a promise to the entire world but it took him a while to have an offspring. Abraham continued to wrestle, God, are you gonna give me a child? Are you gonna give me a child? And finally, he gives him a child, and then the next chapter, you see him say, I want you to take this child on this mountain and sacrifice him and kill him. Uh, there's so many questions and so many shock factors around that, and we're gonna talk about that today. Verse three, early the next morning, Abraham got up. He loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, 
Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the boy while I and the boy go over there. Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over here. We will worship, underline that word, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Notice, God's just told Abraham he's gonna have to sacrifice his son, but Abraham's belief is that when they come down off the mountain, him and his son will come together, right? And so my first thought was, well, maybe he's thinking he's coming down with him dead, right? But when we read in Hebrews, we see that Abraham, this whole time, believed that God would resurrect Isaac if he, if he had to. The fact that they would both come down, that God would not kill the child that he had promised to bring blessing to the entire world through, that God does hold strong to his promises. He never gets away from him. And so even beginning, you see Abraham with this faith that he believes God is gonna take care of Isaac, even if he asks him to kill him. Verse six, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he, and himself, he himself carried the wood, the fire, and the knife. As the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up and said, his, said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That's where you can put awkward beside it right there. That would have been a very awkward question, but listen to how Abraham responds. Once again in faith, God himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. So once again, we see the faith of Abraham that God's gonna provide. Verse nine, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Listen, now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as the burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Let me tell you an interesting fact about Mount Moriah. It's a, it's a mountain outside of Jerusalem, and most scholars say that the very place where, where Abraham went up and sacrificed Isaac was the same place that would later become known as Golgotha. And Golgotha is the place where later Jesus would be crucified in our place. And so as you read this story, it should bring some foreshadowings and some foretastings of what God would do to his own son. Except for this time, he wouldn't spare his own son. He would kill his own son in behalf of me and you because of our sin. So Abram called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on that mountain, of the Lord it will be provided. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And he said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son and your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offsprings, 
all nations, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So it's an incredible story. Me and Blake, uh, our, our pastor, other pastor was talking about uh, this, this earlier, how it's one thing to know the faithfulness of God, you know, like intellectually know God is faithful, God's word teaches that he's faithful, but it's another thing when you experience the faithfulness of God, when you truly need God to come through and he comes through. And so as you read this story, you're seeing a scene where the faithfulness of God is being experienced by Abraham. It's very easy to look at this story and say, well, Abraham knew what was gonna happen, right? No, he didn't. Abraham doesn't read this story in Genesis and know the second half of Genesis 22. As he's walking up this mountain, he has come to grips with the fact that he is going to kill his own son. Think about that as a mom, as a dad, as somebody, as, as the fact that you're gonna have to give up your only son. This is a very powerful, powerful scene. So there's three things that I want us to see today. I'll go ahead and give you all three uh, so you can write them down. The first is this. Uh, God's test. I want you to see uh, that God tests believers. And we'll talk a little bit about that. The second thing is that we want to see Abraham's response. How does Abraham respond to God's test? We can learn from that. And then thirdly, God's provision. How did God provide? How did God give Abraham exactly what he needed when he needed it in the perfect timing of God. So the first one is God's test. We saw in verse one where it says sometime later, God tested Abraham and then he asked him uh, to go up on the mountain and sacrifice his only son. I told you again, KJV translates that as God tempted. It's a big difference between tempting and testing. We need to understand that God was testing Abraham. As Christians, we will face both though. We will face temptation and we will face testing. It's important for us to understand that temptation comes from the enemy, right? Satan tempts you and I to ruin us, right? Satan's game with us is he wants to kill, steal, and destroy our faith, anything God is doing in our life. And so he will tempt us and he will try to lead us astray and, and lead us away from the faith. However, God tests us to build up our faith. Think about it, our God is a loving father, so when he tests us, he it wants to demonstrate his faithfulness to us and also develop our faith. And so here's what I'd say, it can kind of get cloudy as you're being tempted or tested on trying to figure out who's doing what. So here's what I would tell you, don't get caught up in who's causing it, get caught up in what God's calling you to do, whether it's a test or a temptation, and that's be faithful, listen to God, and obey. Does that make sense? And so a lot of people get caught up there. But all tests in our lives are opportunities to trust God more, right? That's what they are. When we're tested by God, it's an opportunity to either trust God or not trust God and do our own thing. And so throughout Scripture, we see God test, uh, he, we see him test many different people in many different ways, right? We see here in the life of Abraham, we see it later in the life of Peter, that test comes in the form of a difficult step of faith. God asked Abraham, he asked Peter to do something uh, that they probably wouldn't be able to do on their own. Without faith, they wouldn't be able to take a step that God asked them to take. We see Jesus uh, in the Gospels, John chapter 6, uh, he tests Philip as he's getting ready to feed the 5,000. He asked Philip a specific question, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? So he's wanting Philip to think 
oh, wow, if God doesn't come through, uh, then we're not going to be able to feed all these people. And so he, it says Jesus asked him that question to test him, to see if he had faith that God could provide four or 5,000 people. Uh, we see trials and suffering in the life of Job. Uh, we see it in the life of Job. We see it in the life of Joseph where God uses uh, trials and suffering in people's lives for his good uh, and, or for, for his glory and for their good to grow them, to continue to take them to a deeper level with God. We see persecution in the New Testament in the life of Paul. Uh, we see it in Jesus. We see it Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel is placed in a lion's den. So throughout the scripture, we see trials and temptations from front to back. And it's really uh, about God growing us and God using us for his glory. But I remember the first time reading the Bible and seeing this, and literally there was like a shock factor. Like, hold on. Like, wait a minute. Like, God test us? Like, what kind of God would ask Abraham to go up on a mountain and sacrifice his only son? Like, it like caught me off guard. It messed with my mind. But here's what I would tell you. Our God does this, and he does it for good reasons. And he never intended to kill Isaac. He intended to grow Abraham's faith and teach him to trust him more. He was showing us something. God knew what was going to happen on the mountain before he got up there. So there's three things I want you to understand about why God would test our faith. Letter A, God tests our faith to reveal our hearts. His tests truly reveal what's inside of us. Many of us are in school or we've been through school, we've been at a job that requires us to take a test. Why do people test us anyway? Because they wanna know what we know. They wanna know what's inside of us, right? Mainly, uh, for some of us, the only time we ever talk about what's going on inside of us or what we know is when we take a test. And so God's kind of working through the same logic when it comes to tests. God's tests uh, reveal who we are and what we know and what's going on uh, in our hearts. Uh, when we're tested by God, it reveals whether we truly trust God or whether we don't truly trust God. That's the important thing to understand. And in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word translated test in the Greek language means to prove by trial. Write that down. The word test is defined as to prove by trial. Therefore, when God tests his children, his purpose is to prove that our faith is real. When you hear that, you should ask the question, well, doesn't God already know if my faith is real? Yes, he does. So the, so the idea of the test is not that God needs to prove it to himself, since he already knows all things. He's proving to us and to others that our faith is real, right? That's his game. That's what he's trying to do in our life. That's his motive. That's his agenda, that we are truly his children and that no trial will overcome our faith. You know, it's easy to love and to trust and to obey God when everything is going your way, right? Everything's going your way. You really don't need faith, so to speak. You know, you don't need to trust God because things are working out. But when things start going to go wrong or you start facing challenging circumstances, at that point, we truly have to have faith. And it shows whether we have faith in God. And here we see Abraham pass the test the toughest test of his life, so to speak. Uh, and that test reveals to us that Abraham really trusts God. And so write this down. One of God's goals in testing Abraham is to reveal his heart. It was to reveal his heart, to show what truly was inside of him, not for God, but for Abraham. 
And so for us as Christians, we need to understand that from time to time, God's gonna ask us to do things that are gonna reveal our heart, not for his sake, but for our sake. Are we truly trusting God and walking by faith? It's important for us to understand that. The second thing, write this down. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. So if, if, we, if we get the test from God and we can't be tested and, and remain faithful, then we can't trust the faith that we have. We're gonna have to go deeper into what we are doing and ask ourselves, do we truly have the faith that we say we have? The second thing God tests do is God tests our faith to grow our faith. God's tests grow us as a Christian. Everything about testing is about maturity. We see it all throughout, suffering, uh, trials, persecution, uh, God asking us to take step of obedience. They're all about us growing into becoming more and more like Jesus. That's God's plan for our life. Listen, God is way more concerned, if you're a Christian, with your holiness than he is your happiness. That makes sense? We'll be happy in heaven, and it's not that we can't experience joy here on earth, but he's way more concerned with us growing and becoming more and more like him so that he can reach people through us and so that we can experience joy in our relationship with God, not necessarily external circumstances. And so testing in the Bible is like a refinery, right? Testing uh, in the Bible, uh, Peter tells us, is like a refinery. It's, it's where, uh, it's a purifier, Right, if you know anything about gold, gold is purified uh, in, in fire. They, they put it up in high temp so that the impurities of the gold will come out. And so Peter says that's a lot like our faith. When we are in the fire, we're being refined. When we're in trials and temptations and going through difficult things, our faith is being refined and purified so that we can become more and more like Jesus. And listen to me, spiritual maturity is marked by a pure faith. Right, that's one of the definitions in the Bible. Most people, when you think of spiritual maturity, you're thinking, oh, that's the person that goes to church, they look like church, they talk like church. But the Bible's definition of spiritual maturity is a little bit different, right? Jesus was mad at the people that looked like church, talked like church, were in church. He was, not that church is a bad thing, but he was, he was happy with the people that were being purified, that were growing, that were becoming more and more like Jesus. Testing also draws us to a deeper dependence on God. Right, a deeper dependence on God. Paul, uh, God tells Paul that his grace is sufficient for him. Right, when he gets in a time where, uh, what's what trials do is trials force you to see that you need God. You need someone outside of yourself to give you hope, to give you uh, the faith to continue going. Spiritual maturity is marked by dependence on God. It's not like worldly maturity. You know, for some of us, we're, we're, we're kids, we're growing up, maybe high school, middle school, uh, you know, maybe we're off in college. Our goal to be a mature uh, person is to be independent of our parents, right? We wanna provide for ourselves and do that, and that's a great thing. But spiritual maturity is the exact opposite. Spiritual maturity is becoming more and more dependent on your father, God. And that's what spiritual maturity is marked by, dependence. Testing also produces perseverance in us. James teaches this in James chapter one, that spirit, that it, uh, what did Paul say at the end of his life? He said, I've, I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. It's this idea of a journey that we're on to become more and more. He says, I've kept the faith. That means that at the end of Paul's life, he was celebrating that he had kept the faith. He had persevered 
till the end, even through all the tests that he would have to face. You know, we see this in Abraham's life. And so this is probably my favorite thing about the story. This wasn't Abraham's first test. If you were here last week, we talked a lot about uh, when God saved Abraham, God called him out of Ur, which was a place of idolatry and a place of sin, just like you and I. When God reaches us, we're living for ourselves. We're living a lifestyle of sin. And he says, hey, come and follow me. It's exactly what he called Abraham to do. He said, hey, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave this land. And I want you to go to the place that I'm gonna tell you uh, once you get going, right? It was a big step of faith. But we also saw that Abraham's faith wasn't perfect, right? And we related with this because Abraham obviously took his dad with him when he wasn't supposed to, and then he listened to his dad by uh, going to the land of, of, of uh, what was it, hey, uh, Haran, and, and they camped there instead of going to Canaan where God asked him to go. We see the next thing, they end up in Egypt during a famine instead of listening to God and trusting that God would provide. Uh, Abraham kind of, goes to his own intellect and basically says, well, I'll just claim Sarah uh, is my sister, even though she's my wife and it won't be a big deal. Maybe they won't kill us. Instead of listening to God, he's listening to himself. And then we also saw a scenario where uh, God hadn't given Abraham and, and, and Sarah a baby and they really wanted one and uh, they started doubting God's timing. And so uh, Sarah had the great idea that, Hag that uh, Abraham could sleep with a servant, Hagar, and create a baby and he did, and so instead of listening to God, we see Abraham listen to uh, Sarah, right? And so we see this battle and this struggle going on with Abraham's faith, but the coolest thing about it is you turn, fast forward to Genesis 22, 25, 30 years later, and what do you see characterize the life of Abraham? Faithfulness, man, he didn't listen to other voices anymore. Right? He's already learned his lesson. He's like, I'm listening to the voice of God, and the voice of God had become the loudest voice in Abraham's life, and God was using that to grow him more and more. If we can learn to listen to the voice of God in our lives and listen to the word of God, God will continue to grow us even in the midst of a test. This is why James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, which is probably the most profound scripture in the Bible when it comes to tests. Listen. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whoa, hold on, consider it joy when I walk through a difficult time. What are you talking about? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How, how do we consider tests and trials in our life pure joy? Well, the only way they're pure joy is if our aim and our goal is to be more mature, to grow as a Christian, to become more and more like Jesus. And James says, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to pray, and I want you to walk through these trials. I don't think you need to pray for trials or pray for suffering in your life, but as a Christian, you need to expect them. God says they will come. And when they do come, they're opportunities for us to grow in our faith. One of God's goals in testing Abraham was to grow his faith. Our faith is like a muscle. If it's not worked out, it'll never get stronger and grow. We need to understand that. Write this down. A faith that cannot be tested cannot grow. If our faith is never tested, if we're not walking in obedience, even through tests, then we cannot grow as a Christian. I want to get personal here for a minute. 
you know, one of the, the things that this made me think about in my own life was, uh, I don't know if you know this about me or not, but, um, you know, most of my life, um, you know, I, I had a dream, you know, to play sports and, and, and become a doctor. That's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to become a surgeon. And uh, that was kind of what I set my heart on when I was in uh, high school. And I began training for that and, and really trying to put myself around the medical field. And I went to college and I majored in chemistry at Georgia Southern, uh, not because I like chemistry, but because it was the easiest pathway uh, to medical school. And so I spent uh, a lot of time studying and a lot of time trying to make my way through that program. I spent a lot of time shadowing surgeons and learning how to, you know, be a doctor. And I spent a lot of time studying for the MCAT and all this stuff. And so, uh, but if you know anything about me, obviously, you know, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm, I'm a preacher. And so you should ask, well, how did that happen? Well, let me tell you. So I get to my uh, fourth year uh, at Georgia Southern, moving into my fifth year. I, I'd just taken the MCAT. I was working uh, with FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, when I was over at Georgia Southern. And so I was always involved in ministry, uh, but it was kind of like my, my side gig uh, with the school. My parents told me as long as I have a job, uh, or as long as I'm in school, that I, could, I didn't have to have like a real job. So I worked with FCA uh, and, and, and did that, and I enjoyed it. And I got to the end of my fourth year of college, and I was complete and getting ready to kind of start applying to medical schools uh, and as I was studying for the MCAT, I, 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 there was this just strange feeling in me uh, that like, I, that I was just hesitant about doing it. And I was like, well, that's, you know, I'm about to sign seven, eight years of my life away. That's normal. It's kind of like getting cold feet when you get married, right? And so as I started working through that, I started to notice that every time I was spending time with God or every time I was, I was focused on the Lord, there was this question that would continue to just come to my mind. Billy, this is... Uh, you, if, if you don't try ministry, you're always going to regret it. And I was like, ah, I don't know if that's from God or not. But every time I would spend time with God, I'd be there. And so I remember calling my dad. My dad's obviously the person who funded my, my Georgia Southern, which was thousands of dollars to get me the education I needed to go to medical school, which is I'm super thankful for. And so I call him and I say, Dad, I really feel like God's wanting me to go into ministry. And of course, at that point, my dad didn't really know a lot about ministry. We didn't really, you know, do the whole ministry thing. And so um, I, I told him, hey, you know, I, I've got a job offer, you know, and it's, you know, making a little bit of money, not enough to provide for myself. And so uh, he's like, oh, that's cool. Just, you know, do that for a couple years and, uh, you know, and then we'll get back on track, you know, to go to medical school, which is what we've planned from the beginning. And I was like, no, no, dad, I really feel like this is what God's leading me to do. And so all of those years that I'd spent preparing for something, and, and one day, in a, in, a, in a season of time, I felt like God had called me to sacrifice what I wanted, what I loved, my plans, my dreams, who I felt like I wanted to become, and leave them, and step into ministry. And so you look at that, and you say, man, that is a huge sacrifice. That's a lot of money. You just threw down the drain to do this and this. But here's what I'd tell you. God asked me to put something precious down so that he could deliver to me something better. And I can tell you, standing here today, that I do not regret the decision at all. There's times where I wish I was a doctor, but other times I look and I say, man, I would, I would never be where I am spiritually if I would not have made that decision to be obedient to God. And I'm not saying God's asking you to do that, but what I'm saying is God's test in our life, when God asks us to do something out of faith, it always leads to growth in our relationship with God. So I don't know what God's asking you to do, but here's what I can tell you on the other side of that. It will cause you to grow and become who God's asked you to be. So don't be scared of it. Embrace it 
and actually step when God tells you to step. The third thing I want you to know about God's test is that God uses our testing for his glory. God uses the test that we go through for his glory. I want you to think about this with me for a minute. Think about how Isaac's faith would have been affected by Abraham's faith. Abraham, Isaac's the little boy. Can you think about after they would have come down off of this mountain and his dad was about to kill him? After he kind of settled down and hopefully wasn't scared of his dad for a year, but at some point they probably had to have a conversation about it. You know what I mean? And so that conversation would have been probably, hey buddy, I want you to know I love you so much and daddy would never wanna hurt you. But there's a person that I love more and that person is God, and when God asks me to do something, I will always be willing to do it. And my prayer for you as my son would be the same. Can you imagine that conversation and just the, the fruit of that conversation? I'll tell you what it is. Later on in the book of Genesis, we see Isaac walking through life, and guess who faces the same kind of test that Abraham faced? Not specifically, but different kinds of tests. And don't you know that Isaac's faith would look back to his father's faith and say, I remember when my dad did this. My dad told me walking up that mountain, God asked him to do something he never thought he would do and he was scared to death, but he knew he could trust God. And because he could trust God, he went through with it. Because my dad could trust God, I can trust God and I'm willing to walk through whatever test and whatever he tells me to do because I know God's good and I know I trust him. There's nothing that reveals God in us to others more than faithfulness during a time of testing. Listen, parents, your kids, more than they need to see you drop them off at church every week, need to see a real relationship with Jesus in your life, a willingness to sacrifice things in your life to prioritize Jesus, a willingness to hear from God and do what he says because the thing that will influence their life more than anything in the world will be that. Because God uses a life of faithfulness to impact people in incredible ways for his glory. There's nothing that shapes the faith of others more than watching someone close to them trust God even in a time where they can't see where he's going in a time of testing. So here's what I want you to remember about God's test. When God tests our faith with difficult steps or with difficult questions or trials or suffering or persecution, it's never for nothing. There's always purpose with it. Even if we can't see it, God is working and he's working things out for his, our good and for his glory. He's revealing our hearts. He's growing our faith. He's using us for a greater purpose, his glory. The second thing I want us to learn about is Abraham's response. Abraham's response in verses three through uh, 10, we really get this picture of Abraham responding. He says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham describes going up on a mountain to sacrifice his son as worship. How many of us would define worship as going up on a mountain and sacrificing our son? None of us, right? We have a different view of what worship is. Most of us are like, hey, I'm coming to church, I'm gonna get my worship on. You know, I wanna sing some songs, do my thing, hear the teaching, and I went to the worship service. But I want you to see that Abraham's worship was characterized by something different. It was characterized by a focus on the Lord. What is worship anyway? The best definition I know for worship that we see in scripture is seeing God for who he is 
and responding accordingly, right? So worship is not just singing a song. Worship is when you see God for who he is, can be through music, can be through a sermon, can be in your quiet time with the Lord. You see him for who he is and who God's word presents him as, and then you respond accordingly, right? That's the picture. And think about it in the life of Abraham. That's the craziest thing to see right here is that in the hardest situation of Abraham's life, Abraham wasn't focused on himself. And the reason he was able to step when God said step is he wasn't focused on his circumstance. He trusted God, and because he trusted God and his eyes were on the promises of God, he trusted that God's power would raise Abraham or Isaac from the dead. He trusted his promise that Isaac would be the promised uh, son that would be the offspring to lead to Jesus. He trusted his faithfulness. He trusted his sovereignty. He trusted his goodness because he knew who God was. It's, it's when he, res that's why he responded accordingly. And really there's three things that you see about Abraham's worship. I want you to write these down. Faith, sacrifice, and surrender. We see that Abraham's faith was characterized and his worship was characterized by faith. It was characterized by sacrifice and it was characterized by surrender. Uh, you notice in, in verse four, it says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. Hebrews 11 tells us a little bit more about this situation and what was going on in Abraham's mind as he was walking up that mountain. It says, verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the death. Abraham trusted God. Even when he couldn't see God's hand, he could trust God's heart because he knew God. That's the big deal to understand. He trusted God's power, he trusted God's promise, and he trusted that God would raise Isaac if he needed to. Write this down. Our willingness to obey God is directly connected with our trust in God and his promises, right? I told you this last week. Our willingness to obey God in our lives is directly connected to our trust in God and his promises because faith always embraces God's promises, even when we can't see and even when we don't know why. And that's what the Bible defines as worship. Secondly, sacrifice. Abraham was willing to sacrifice anything, literally was willing to sacrifice his only son, the most precious thing to him. And this is not just an Abraham definition. Paul in Romans chapter 12 gives us this definition of worship. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, so focused on God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So what is Paul saying? He's saying when we see God for who he is and when we see his mercy and what he's done for us, our only proper response is worship, which is characterized by sacrificing our life and saying, Lord, here I am. Because of what you've done for me, I lay my life at your feet. Do as you will. Right? You notice as we uh, baptize people, we ask two questions. The first one is, do you trust that Christ did everything necessary to save you on the cross? Yes. The second question we ask him is, are you willing to do whatever God asks you to do and go wherever God asks you to go? What are we doing? We're making sure that their heart is postured to say, I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice. God, whatever you're asking me to do, 
I'm willing to do it. And that's what we see in Abraham's life. Abraham knew God. He trusted God. He loved God. And because of that, he was willing to sacrifice the most precious thing that he had. You see, sacrifice happens when we're willing to give up something we love because we love something more. That makes sense? Jesus tells a parable uh, of a treasure. And he talks about this guy uh, that basically went into this field and he found the greatest treasure he'd ever found. And he went back home and he, he, he got everything he had and he sold it so that he could have enough money to buy this field because he wanted that treasure. You see, when he found this treasure, this thing that was worth more than anything, more valuable than anything in his entire life, he was willing to sacrifice anything he had to get this treasure. That's what the Bible talks about as a Christian. When we see God for who he is, we understand that he's the most valuable thing that we could ever obtain. And so when we see him and get him, we prize him above all, our family, every, everything we have, because we know it's the one thing we were created for, which is to know him. You know, that's what we see in the life of Abraham. But if you also look on the opposite end of that, it, you, you can really uh, ask yourself some very honest questions. If we are not willing to sacrifice for God, what does that reveal about our relationship with God? I'll tell you what it reveals. It reveals that we do not treasure God, right? And Christ is not the most important thing in our life. And so we can ask ourselves some questions. Is my life characterized by sacrificing? Am I willing to sacrifice my time, my energy, my resources, whatever I have, because in Christ I've found something better? Not only do we see sacrifice and faith, but we also see this posture of full surrender. And this is very important. Before, Abraham, before God tells Abraham anything about what he wants him to do, he calls to Abraham and says, Abraham. And what does Abraham say back? Here I am. And that's not just saying, hey, present, God, I'm here. That's saying it's a posture in the Old Testament. The prophets used it to say, God, I'm willing. My yes is on the table. God, whatever you need me to do, I'm willing to do it because I trust you and I love you. I'm your servant. Send me as you will. I'm an open vessel so that you can send us or send me wherever. It's this posture of open-handedness. It means that, that, that Abraham's yes was already on the table. He didn't even know what God was gonna ask him to do. He surely didn't think he was gonna ask him to go sacrifice his only son. But when he did, his answer was yes, because his posture was yes. God, I trust you. Anything you ask me to do, whenever you ask me to do it, I'm willing to do it. It's, it's, it's what I call a blank check mentality. It's basically laying your life before God like a blank check and letting him write it wherever he wants to write it for whatever he wants to write it. Have you laid your life down to God in that way? Have you seen God so valuable that you're willing to lay your life down in front of God so would you say that your life is characterized by those three things? The life of worship is a life that's characterized by faith, by sacrifice, and by surrender. And then lastly, my probably favorite part of this entire story is number three, God's provision. God's provision. We see that on this mountain, Abraham called this place, the Lord will provide. And I told you earlier, this is the same place that 2,000, thousands of years later in Abraham's life, we would see God provide the greatest sacrifice ever. He would sacrifice his only son. And there's so many similarities between this sacrifice and the sacrifice that we would see in Jesus. 
Letter A, we see a spotless lamb given at a perfect time. Think about that. You see this ram in the thicket, he's caught by his horns. It's significant that he's caught by his horns because that means his body wasn't blemished. He was a perfect sacrifice. Well, Jesus was our perfect sacrifice. And not only was that lamb given at a perfect time, Romans tells us that Jesus was given for us at the perfect time. We also see a divine exchange, the boy's life for the sacrifice, the ram's life. You know, we go free, the boy goes free, and the ram is sacrificed. It's a divine exchange. It's the greatest exchange. It foreshadows the exchange that would happen with Jesus. You know, for many of us, we don't understand what happened when Jesus died on the cross. But we just see it as, man, what a good man that would lay his life down to save the world. But the Bible teaches the sacrifice that Jesus made was much deeper than that. Jesus on the cross was literally representative of mine and your sin. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. Have you ever seen the cross and all the things that happened to Jesus, the brutal death that he died as the punishment that you deserved for your sin? But instead of God punishing you, he said, no, 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 don't punish Billy even though he deserves it fully to die, I'll come down there and take the punishment for him so he can walk free, so he can receive the righteousness of God and come back into a relationship with me. We also see a boy that's set free for God's purpose. Isaac is very significant in this. Isaac is the promised offspring. He is the offspring that would bring about the Israelites. The Israelites would be the people that would bring about the Savior. And so when God set him free, he set him free for the purpose of bringing God's purpose on earth. Well, let me tell you about this. Have you ever thought about salvation in this way? When God set you free, when you received Christ, when God raised you from the dead, like we just saw in baptism, died to your old self and raised up to the newness of life, he set you free for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve him, to live for him, to be the type of person that Abraham was, that literally when people see your life, they see Jesus. They see sacrifice. They see faith. They see a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So as we end today, let me just ask you a question right where you are. I just want you to bow your head. I don't know where this message finds you, but what I know is this is a powerful story. And it's not just a story, this is truth. This is God's word and God gave it to us for a specific purpose. It's living and active and I just believe that God is using it in the lives of people all around this room right now. Maybe for some of us, for the first time, we've seen Christ on a cross for us and God's drawn us to salvation to surrender our life to him for the very first time. Maybe for some of us, we see the faith of Abraham and we say, man, I'm not living my life that way. I'm living a life of comfort and ease. I'm just trying to be happy. When God's calling you out onto the water of faith to say, are you listening? Is God's voice the loudest voice in your life? Maybe for some of us, God's revealing something we need to sacrifice. Maybe it's our time. Maybe it's our energy. Maybe it's our money to give to the kingdom of God. Whatever it is, I pray that God would give you the courage to step this morning. So Father, we love you. God, we're so thankful. God, that you have so much grace and so much patience with us. But Father, may we not hear this message 
and it go in one ear and right out the other. God, would we take it to heart? Would your spirit plant it deep down in us so that we can grow? God, would you reveal tests that are going on in our life right now, God, that you are using to shape us, to grow us, to become who you've called us to be? And would you give us the courage to step in faith? God, would you remind us of your promises to help us fix our eyes on those in the midst of these tests? And if there's somebody in here that right now, you'd say, Billy, that's me. I, I, I want a relationship with God. I don't have one. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. But right now, you'd say, that's what I want to do. Would you lift your hand? I want to pray for you. You'd say, Billy, that's me. Amen. Anybody else? You'd say, Billy, that's me. So, Father, right now, Lord, I pray, God, for this individual, Lord, that wants to surrender their life to you. Father, I pray, God, that you would do incredible things in their life. God, that they would know that you love them. God, that you sent your son to die for them and that you got a purpose for their life. Father, would we as a church surround them and walk beside them? God, I pray for the people that are making decisions right now to follow you in faith. Father, I pray that you give them courage. God, that we as a church would surround them to help them take the steps that you're calling them to take. Father, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. We'll see you back next week.